Shagulola Salami, and it's the Shagulola Salami show. I hope you're all doing very well today. My little human, she's at nursery, so I have a bit of peace and quiet to just get my thoughts together. Um, you know, we're still counting down the big day because she keeps telling everyone, you know, that her birthday's coming up. So I know that I'm probably going to be quite broke at the end of this party, but never mind. So who have I got here with me today? Hi, I'm Nathan Slagers. I'm a professor of engineering at George Fox University and the author of Passover, the story of Easter from the beginning. Probably the only non-theologian who wrote a book about the Passover and Easter. Oh, interesting. Um, right. Okay. Well, before I start, you know, interrogating you in this virtual cafe, what would you like to drink? My new favorite drink is a toasted marshmallow latte. Oh, interesting. Well, you see the good thing about my virtual cafe? It's very futuristic. Anything you can imagine, you know, you can have it. I've never actually heard of a toasted marshmallow um latte so how what is it so what you just have it and just put it at the top or is it ground and just put inside usually they just have a, a flavoring so like the toasted marshmallow it's a mix of kind of a vanilla from the marshmallow and there's a little bit of smoky flavor in it so it's kind of reminds you of a like a s'mores or camping ah i see i see i see so now i'm interested i find you quite intriguing you said you're a mechanical engineering professor, or did I hear wrongly? No, that is correct. And then you've written a book about the Passover. Yeah, so one of the things I always found is if you read anything about, you know, Passover, Easter, or any, any of those religious events, it seemed like there's always these stuffy theologians that go through all these abstract details telling you about these things. And I'm not sure you know, why they ha these stories have to be so boring. There's usually a lot more involved behind the scenes as far as maybe the, the stories behind the events, which I find more interesting than some of the, the very specific details of, you know, the religious doctrines. And when we get back to those stories, I think it's, it's kind of remarkable uh, what, what people are seeing in those stories and where they came from. Interesting. So how or when did you decide that you wanted to write this type of book? You know, because I'm still trying to put together professor, theology, professor, no, science, science, professor, theology. You know, the two of them, there is no, there is nothing that brings the two together. Well, and I, I think that's what it was. You know, you know I, I have a religious background, so I've known, known some of these things. And there was, there was one of, it was about five years ago, where I heard someone telling me, some events of the Passover and how it connects to Eastern Christianity. And it was one of those things I always considered myself a pretty smart guy and the details they laid out, the things between, you know, how the old Passover and the sacrificing happened and the events of Easter. And they put those pieces together. And, you know, at the age of 30, I was thinking like, why has no one told me this before? Like these things are connected. They're connected in such a, you know, a historic way and it never came up and I thought you know as a professor I kind of look at those things and as you're going to be teach as I teach people like well you kind of have to go back to the beginning connect all the pieces and once everything you see this big picture you know imagine standing a thousand feet up looking at the city you kind of you see everything and it makes a lot more sense than if you're standing right on the street trying to figure out where to go 
Right. Okay. Um, hmm. <clears throat> so what were these things? Uh, some of it's just the timing. Okay. I mean, if anybody, so, you know, Easter basically comes from, you know, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So when we, when you look at the, the basic history behind that, that all happens around the Jewish Passover. Yeah. So, so that's most of the connection people get. They're like, Oh, these, these events of, of Christianity occurred at a Jewish Passover, you know, Christians in general now don't really celebrate a Passover, even though that those two events are connected, we've replaced that with, with an Easter. And for most of the time, when you look at those, the two religions, Judaism and Christianity, those are kind of the distinct separations. You know, one does Passover, one's doing Easter and there's no connection. Uh, you know, some of those is just other than the timing is the, the story of redemption. They're both redemption stories as far as the different religions look. If you're going to Judaism and you're looking at Passover, that came from the redemption of the Jewish people from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea into the desert, and you have that grand story which sets up theirs. And for Christianity, it's, it's that same redemption story. It just comes through you know, a death and a resurrection at Easter. So they actually have the same purpose. And when you put them together, I think that's remarkable because, you know, here's the, here's the professor in me coming out. I was like, well, if they're both connected and they're both redemption stories, does that mean if we look back at Passover, that should tell us more information about what we should see in Easter and what the purpose of it is? See, now it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned, um, Easter though because you know I'm I'm spiritual I'm not religious um, I've never really believed in religion but then you know the fact that I've never really believed in religion doesn't mean I turn a blind eye to you know what goes on with religion and I think I heard or I read or I saw something but somehow this knowledge came into my awareness that Easter from a quote-unquote Christian point of view is actually a pagan holiday because if you look at the symbolisms that's associated with Easter, so Easter bunnies, um, you know, that has nothing to do with the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, and that's actually totally true. It's, it's, I think that we compare that to like Christmas. Yeah. You know, Christmas is like a celebration of the birth of Jesus from its first roots and now from a, a general pagan perspective, we have a, a Santa Claus, you know, reindeer, Christmas trees, all of those things, which you know, aren't necessarily, you know, they're in our formal traditions now. And I, if, from Easter, it's the same, it, it's a spring holiday. That's the same, same time Passover was, yeah. it was spring. And so when we start adding, you know, some of the, the, the secular traditions to Easter, even though it's it's really a church holiday in essence, but the idea of spring—that's where we get the that pagan idea of these Easter eggs. Yeah, and so I think it's uh, and there's only a few languages, English and German, which actually use the word Easter. Oh, really? So it comes from, and I'm drawing a blank right now. It's one of the, I think, one of the Greek goddesses of fertility. Yes. And so that's Easter, but all the other, most other languages other than English and German use Pesach for, for Easter, which is related to the word, the Hebrew word for Passover. 
Right. I see. And I think that was interesting. When I saw that, I realized maybe that's why English is my first language. So I always think of Easter. It does sounds nothing like Passover. But for almost every other language, you don't think of Easter and Passover as separate. You have the same, same word. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so what else can, you know, what else, you know, is, you know, what else did you write about in your book? What's your book called again? It's Passover, the story of Easter from the beginning. Right. Okay. So what can people, um, or what would people see in your book? <clears throat> and so, I mean, basically the idea that I, I personally, once I found that connection that I felt like people had, every, I felt like everybody knew this connection and just hadn't told me for, for years. And so I went back all the way to the beginning. I went back to that, the first Passover, you know, at the time of the Exodus and looked at that. And then I go back even further to the creation stories. And we, we work all the way forward in time through all the stories. We start with creation, how that whole story highlights the idea of this Easter and redemption story that's going to come. Then we hit the Exodus. And then there's other traditional stories along the way, such as uh, Joshua and the conquest. So after the, the Jewish people left Egypt and were in the desert before they came to the promised land they had to uh that's where joshua comes in actually physically brought them into the promised land and then okay. we end up next going to the, you know the story of ruth which is one of it's a very popular story in the old testament because it really is it's just a very short story about a widow from moab that ends up being brought into the, the jewish people and so that's a, one of those great stories that even if you're not religious, I think people enjoy that story. Mm. And what's remarkable about that, and I think this is kind of where I want to highlight the idea behind the book is the word Passover or Easter never occurs in the whole book of Ruth. Okay. But if you understand, once I went back and looked is, you know, Passover is a spring holiday. It occurred at a very specific time of the year. All the events of Ruth, even though it doesn't say Passover, occur at the time of the Passover. Right. Okay. And they also, geographically, as they're making their, their journey, they're actually tracing the exact same location <clears throat> that the, they did on the Exodus. And so it really is a, a Passover story, even though the word doesn't appear in there. Okay, so quick question, though, and just this is me trying to remember and make sure that, you know, I'm on the same page as you. When I, and I don't know why I never, it's never really occurred to me, but the first thing that's in my mind, right, and this is from that movie, I don't know if you ever watched it, I think it was in the 80s or in the 90s, it was called Moses, you know, the oh, yeah. original one. And, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of Passover in my mind was when, um, all the Jews were taking the blood from one animal. I can't remember which one. And from a they, lamb, yes, lamb or yeah, goat. They were sort of crossing their front door so that the spirit of death doesn't take their firstborn. Mm -hmm. Is that not the Passover or is it something to my completely? Yeah, that is the Passover, exactly. Okay. okay. So that's, that's, that's sort of my, so that was what I was thinking um, about. Okay, so that's what you mean by redemption. Because okay, I thought you said, well, never mind. Okay, cool. So, well, I, I think that that is the connection too. Like when you're saying, so you go back to you know what what the Christian version of this is later on at the time of Christ. I mean, we have this name. You know, Jesus is usually called the Lamb of God. So, 
the fact that he was crucified and is actually bringing redemption, it really matches up with that, that Passover story. Right, right, right. Okay. 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 That, that definitely does make um, a lot of sense. So tell me about your writing process. How long did it take you to write this book? It took me five years. Wow. That's a long time. And I, you know, I'm at one point I was kind of frustrated, like, why is this taking so long? But in hindsight, I think that that was actually important because it was, for me, it was kind of like this personal, I had this idea, like, why are these details? Why has someone not connected them in a way that makes sense to me or kind of really explores the idea? And so I started doing that. And I think over that process, you know, within the first few months, I kind of had this outline and I'm thinking, this is, this is kind of an interesting connection that I think people should know about. And I think from that point, it wasn't very good. I mean, everything was lined up. And I think over the next five years, I had this, this picture of this process of, you know, from the beginning, from Passover up to Easter and the connections. And over the next five years, as I was just listening to other people talk about different events, all these other connections, I think, came into view for me. And so okay. what really happened over that process, the last four years was I had this outline and then you'll see like there's different ideas and concepts from different people that come in that I'm like, well, that's connected too. This is also connected. And by the time I was done, I felt like there was actually a more complete story. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So as you were talking, something else, you know, crossed my mind. So, which I'm just sort of more curious about, and I feel like I'm, we're giving away everything in your book, but I'll just ask. So, Again, and please, you know, do, do forgive me if I'm calling the names wrong or I'm not, you know, getting the correct um, bit. But then isn't there, you know, if you're talking about the relation between um, Passover, so the, you know, the, um, you know, the spirit of death, you know, passing the Jews over mm -hmm. and then, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. Then something else that came to mind, which I thought was quite similar was when I think it was, is it Abraham who killed, was supposed to kill his son? Was that one? Yeah. That, so that's a, a very, you know, key part of the story. And I think, so one of the things I, I want to say kind of up front here is, you know, the book is clearly about religion, re mm. connecting Passover and Christianity together. I think that the, there's more of a broad audience for this. If someone is, you know, even somewhat spiritual and, you know, Judaism, Judaism and Christianity are two pretty large religions around the world. And even if you don't subscribe to either one of those, I think this would be an interesting look at, at least look at the stories behind and the logic behind like why we have these certain events. And I think that actually gives more appreciation, at least as far as understanding other people's perspective on these, these different connections. Okay. Oh, now but, one, one, one last question. Well, not last question, but you know, hopefully the last main one, right? So now I've heard two different, um, you know, thoughts about Christianity, right? Some people have said that Christianity, you know, is fiction. It didn't really occur. It never really happened. And then there are others that say that yeah, it does. So coming from a logical, you know, science professor, mechanical engineering um, professor's point of view. What do you think? Fact or fiction? Well, I, I do think it's fact. But mm -hmm. I, I also see like it's, 
you know, there's a reason this question keeps coming up forever. I mean, no matter what happens, you know, people will argue with me and say, well, you think these are facts. Here's the reasons why I don't. And I will come back with my response. And kind of at the end of the day, there, there's really some component is like, I, I think the events happened, you know, as they were written. Other people think they're more mythology and they didn't happen. I think there's a, some pretty good historical evidence why those events have, have some validity. Can you share some of those um, evidence? Well, I, I mean, I think even if you just go back to the, the, the Easter story, I mm -hmm. mean, there's pretty, you know, Jesus as a person, the fact that he existed, you know, even if you're not religious, I think it's a pretty hard argument to say that he didn't exist. Mm. Why and then, well, because if you go through, I mean, there's, there's a lot of dates that describe, you know, when he was born, when he existed, who the, the governors of Rome were at the time. And so I think as far as him being a historical person, there's, there's quite a bit of evidence. Now, as far as all the religious side of that is, you know, he said these things, a lot of them recorded. Now the question is, do you, you know, do you believe that he was actually the son of God versus just a regular person? That really gets more into a faith component. I don't know if there's any way we could actually prove one way or the other for everyone that, you know. Right, I can see. And I think mean. that's kind of where I, where I go through is I, I, I usually don't get into, you know, if someone doesn't believe very specifically about some religious views that, you know, that doesn't bother me so much. I mean, we all kind of look at these, these same events and some of us think that, you know, a per, you know, Jesus, for example, was, was the son of God versus he was just, oh, this is just a regular guy that was telling these wise sayings mm -hmm. and he had no divinity. So. Okay. But then that then sort of brings me to the question, though, that let's assume, you know, he was actually born and all of those things that, you know, they say, you know, actually, you know, is fact, then so why, you know, so like the Queen of England, you know, she gets two birthdays because obviously she's the Queen. Um, so is that why we're treating um, Christ the same way? Why, you know, Christians celebrate his birthday on a day that's not his birthday? Yeah, and I think, well, part of that is because, you know, it's one of those things that that is, no one knows specifically what day he was born. I mean, at, at those times that, you know, people's birthdays were not a big event, unless you were a, you know, the emperor of Rome or someone famous at that time, usually your birthday, it wasn't specifically recorded. So we just, I, I think there's just church tradition that says we're going to pick a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it happens to be December 25th. But then people also say that, you know, that that date or that day then coincides with the um, pagan religion that celebrates the sun god Ra, if there's something like that. Yeah, and I, I think that, so now we're getting a little more into church history. And I think <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, you know, these stories, I, and I agree with all this is, you know, the, the date we have for Easter is set more for the Jewish Passover, but things such as, you know, why do we do December 25th? And I, I think that comes back more to the church saying, we don't know exactly when we should celebrate the birth of Jesus. So why don't we uh, put it on a day where there's a pagan holiday? So maybe we can make that pagan holiday less relevant if we're celebrating our big event on the same day. Ah. I, th I think that's more of a political slash, you know, church history type reasoning than there's any historical reason why we're doing this on December 25th. 
Ah, okay, okay, okay. That's fine. Well, we'll leave the content. <laughs> did you self-publish or did you go with a publisher? Uh, we went through Come Thirsty Ministry. So that's, I, I guess I would say it's halfway in between. My wife also does multiple Bible studies. So that is her publisher. Ah, okay, okay. Right. So, and was it easy to get on their books or how did you find them? Or you, because your, your wife already has a relationship with them, I'm guessing? Yes, yeah. Right. Okay. So I think that was, that was the easy, easier part. Okay. See, one of the things that I'm always curious about when I speak with um, authors who've had, um, you know, who have publishers, I always imagine that, you know, once they've agreed to go, you know, they've agreed to take you on their books, they just issue with this nice, massive, you know, paycheck. Yeah, that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, maybe, maybe if you're a, a big enough author maybe they do give you a big paycheck before you even write the book as a stuff but you know the way it works is i end up just getting a, a small portion it's actually a relatively small portion of each book sale oh dear so but then what have you found to be the advantage of working with them i i think it was just more the smaller size so there was a lot of flexibility in the editing process i felt that I still was able to take a lot of control over the book and there was, I, I felt like maybe a bigger publisher sometimes that's a little more challenging. Mm. Okay. So what would you say has been the, if you were going to sort of pick just three things, what are the three most, is it tangible benefits? You know, did you get, did they do more marketing for you or did they just, you know, what were the three, the top three things, you know, that has been beneficial to you over you going to do it yourself? I think the, I would even say like maybe the first two were both marketing. Hmm. If, if you if you do it by yourself, I mean, it's pretty easy to get a book out there. Yes. And then no one's going to see it or know about it. And yeah. I think having someone have some organization that does some marketing uh, is, is very helpful. Just getting a book out there for people to even see that it exists. Yeah getting them to read the summary and say like, Hey, maybe I would be interested in this. That's a very challenging thing to do on your own. I think at least it was for me. Yeah, no, I think it's the same for all authors. You know, I always say that um, in my personal experience that writing, you know, is probably the easiest thing, um, you know, to achieve in the, you know, in, in the getting a book, to the audience, um, it's the marketing and the promotion and everything else and the design work and, you know, just keeping yourself relevant. Those are the things that I find, you know, to be the hardest. So it's quite interesting to hear that, you know, your, you know, publisher, the first two things for you was marketing. Okay. What was the third thing? What was the third benefit? You know, I, I think the, it, it was nice to have some feedback from, from an editor. Okay. It still amazes me how many times that you know, I'd wrote this, had read this, had other people read it, and you still have someone go through and right away they just open it up and like, well, this doesn't look right. Yeah. Or there's many times that they would tell me this doesn't make any sense. And I would argue like, oh, of course it does. This is what I meant. And they're still like, no, that still doesn't make any sense. So I think that that, that polishing that they were able to do if you self-publish, I mean, I suppose you can pay your own editor to do that, but I think it helps to have someone outside of the book really look at it before it goes to goes to print. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and you said print. So, does that mean your book is available as a paperback copy then? Yeah, it's a paperback and an ebook. Okay. Okay. And is it widely available um, everywhere or just maybe Amazon? Well, it's Amazon and uh, comethirstyministry.com. Right. Okay. So, you wouldn't find it on Kobo or Nuke or any of those other places? Correct. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh, pardon me. All right. That's, that's quite interesting. Um, I'm just trying to think if I've had any um, religious guests come because it's quite, you know, interesting because why I was sort of asking you those questions is just because, you know, I've got a friend who used to be a Christian, uh, but then he didn't agree with um, cert- um, certain aspects of Christianity. So he then moved over to become, um, you know, to, to Judaism. Um, you know, so those were, you know, when we were talking, those were the things that sort of came to my mind because those were his arguments for moving from Christianity to Judaism. Um, okay, okay. Well, and I, I think that would be one of the things I'd emphasize for the, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're an advocate of Christianity, the book would, would be very valuable. But I also think that even for anybody who's curious, like if, you know, there, there's a lot of Christian Jewish people around and you want to know why the Passover and Easter is important to them, or at least what their perspective is. I, I think you can read it with a non-religious view and still get a lot of information about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then when, um, when you were writing those books, you know, you said, or when we were talking, first of all, you said that, you know, it would appeal to a really wide audience. So just remind us again, like, what would be the one thing you think anyone reading this book would take away that's a positive? I, th- I think it's just the connection between all the stories. I, I, th- mm. I think if you are, you know, completely secular and didn't come up with any of these history, a lot of times you look at this as, that's a weird myth story. Why Mm -hmm. do people even believe that? And I I think it's true for any religion. If you're talking about Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, I mean, when you look at it from the outside, you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Why would they believe that? Yeah. And I would love to actually, and I think this is kind of my case of saying, well, here's kind of the, the, the reasons behind it in the stories. It's not that absurd. Yeah. And if you do believe it's like, wow, there's, there's a lot more coherency than I originally thought. And I would almost like to see, you know, if there was a, an author that did the same type of connections for a different religion, I'd be very interested in reading that too. Because so I found going through the stories and laying things out in this process, as opposed to looking at the individual doctrines, that to me, it, it really put some puzzle pieces together and made a lot more sense. Okay, okay. No, that, that makes sense. Uh, okay, well, we've come to that time, you know, of the day where I have to chuck everyone out of the cafe because, you know, the little human, she's been at nursery all day. Um, so I've got to go and pick her up. And then my flat then turns into somewhere that looks like a bomb went off. Um, so if people were to connect with you or wanted to connect with you, um, how do they find out more about you? Um, you can go do through email. So at comethirstyministry at gmail.com, I can get those emails through that. Okay, is that it? Do you have a website? Are you on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter, but comethirstyministry.com, the website also has connections to uh, previews of the book. Okay, okay. 
Okay, that's fine. So just remind everyone again, because I have baby brain. What was your email address? It's a come thirsty ministry. It's all one word at gmail.com. Come thirsty ministry at gmail.com. Okay, cool. And are you, is that like, is that just the church or just the publisher? Uh, that will, that goes through the publisher, which gets to me. Right. Okay. That's perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure um, having you on the show and just sort of having some questions that you know, have always sort of just gone through my head, but then I never really had anyone to ask um, in recent times, you know, so it was quite interesting um, and enjoyable, you know, chatting with you today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it also. Okay. Well, until next time, everyone, it's the Shekelola Salami Show, and I'm your girl, Shekelola Salami. Um, bye now. Bye. Bye.